we've been in a series where we've actually been talking about being church at home. So the idea of what does it mean for us to to live out these things that we talk about in our faith, that's been the goal. What does it mean for us to think about the tenets of our faith, the practices of what it means for us to be church, and to put those things to practice inside our household, whatever our household situation might be, to put those things to work inside our household and in each of our specific roles that we play inside the household. So on Mother's Day, we started and we talked about being mom. And the week after that, we talked about being single. And then we talked about being married. We talked about being parents, parenting in general. And we talked about some attachment theory stuff. Perhaps you remember that. We talked about being kids and what it meant for kids to play the role that they have inside the family. And on Father's Day, we talked about being dad. And then last week, we talked about being family, but not just a family unit, whether that's a family unit of one or a family unit of two or five or of 16. But the idea of what does it mean for us to be a family that opens up our home, our family, for the sake of the orphan? And there's a multitude of ways in which we do that. We talked about that last week. Uh, all these sermons are online. If you'd like to catch up with, with what we've done they're on our website or through wherever you get podcast stuff, you can search for them. This morning, we're going to wrap up this series. It was not originally the intention to go even the eight weeks we did. We were going to go from Mother's Day to Father's Day. But there were a couple that got added along the way, including this one today that got added into the conversation But we're going to finish today with the idea of talking about one of the things that we believe as a church is a core value in what it means for us to make disciples. It's the belief that we have that we are all called to be a missional people. Each and every one of us, us as an organization, but each and every one of us are called to be a people on mission. So what might it look like if you and I were to think about being missional at home? If instead of thinking about Valley, the organization, being missional, we thought about being missional in our own homes. We thought about our homes as missional outposts for Valley and the kingdom of God, as as places that mission happens, as, as we're scattered throughout the community. One of my favorite examples of what it means to be missional in our home is the story of Lydia, the passage we read from Acts chapter 16. In that story, we find out that Lydia is an important woman in this major city of Philippi. And we only get bits and pieces of her specific story. She's kind of mentioned in glances and small little details. We learn lots about who she is by what isn't actually said. And there's bits and pieces that we have to kind of piece together as we think, okay, this says this, and we know that the culture looks this way, so how can we understand Lydia? And I'm really disappointed we don't have a fuller picture of who she is because she is such, in the little glimpses, she is such an impressive woman. I think the role that she would have held in her community was significant based on all the little details we know and the reality that her story is shared at all in the book of Acts. When we meet Lydia, she's gathered beside a river to participate in this Sabbath practice of worship and prayer. She's gathered with a group of women. Culturally, we can understand that because they're gathered there for their Sabbath worship and not in a synagogue, that it means that there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. If there had been, they would have been gathered there. There were certain limits on what the women could do in the synagogue, but that's where they would have gathered for Saturday worship. 
Sabbath worship for them, which would have been on a Saturday, Friday evening into Saturday evening. So these women are gathered together to worship. The, the lack of a synagogue probably, well, it definitely also indicates for us that there was a, a small number of Jewish men that were in their community. In order for a synagogue to be present in a city, there had to be ten male heads of household in order for them to have one because of the roles the men played versus the roles that the women's play, women played. So as we find Lydia, she's referred to as one who worshipped God, or other translations call her a God-fearer. So these women, without a synagogue or a place to gather for worship, without men who were typically expected to be the leaders of what they would do, this gathering for worship, this praying together, this being the people of God, so without either of those things that were, were expected standards in Sabbath worship, these women were intent on finding a place to get together and worship. More than finding a place, it seems that they had intentionally created a place for the people of God to come together and to pray. When Lydia wasn't at worship, we're told that she was a businesswoman. That she dealt in expensive purple cloth. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but to original hearers of this story or readers of this story, they would have known that that meant that Lydia was a woman of some means, of some wealth. She had probably done well in a business that would have provided her, um, provided for her well. It's a little odd that she would actually be mentioned as this proprietor in a business unless she was single. So we can assume from, from Lydia's story and the mention of her business that she was single. She either was widowed or she had never been married. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been described as a merchant in purple cloth. She would have been described as the wife of a merchant in purple cloth. The unique role that this put her in, this idea of her being a, a business owner among primarily male owners would have put her in a position where she would have had some notoriety of one type or the other. Some that would have celebrated these great things that she would have done in this male-dominated society, how impressive it was that she had pushed ahead when there'd likely been lots of opposition, and others who would have criticized her for not falling in line with societal norms and the expectations of who she was supposed to be and what it was that she was supposed to do. I wonder if in this this woman who seemingly pushed against societal norms frequently, I wonder if her willingness to do so in the business world and in her society is part of what also led her to be a part of a minority faith in this large city. I also wonder if because she was likely such a leader in the world of commerce, if it also led her pushed her to be a leader inside this this world of faith that she lived in, inside this religious world that she was a part of. It seems likely that by the mentioning of her name and also by the roles that she carried, that she quite possibly had initiated this Sabbath gathering that took place. It's possible, maybe even likely, that she was also the leader of what would happen, that she facilitated it week in and week out. And also that this gathering that she was a part of was somehow known by others in the community because as Paul and Silas came into town, they were told exactly 
where they would find the Jewish worshipers, where they could go along the river to find these women gathered together. Typically, when Paul would come into a city, his normal practice is that he would go to the synagogue. And at the synagogue, he would reach out to those Jewish followers of God who were there, and he would begin to tell them about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, and the salvation that was possible for them. But in Philippi, because there was no synagogue, it was among the Jewish worshipers that he went to gather. And for them in that city, it was these women gathered by the river to pray. So he went to them and he shared the message that he typically shared. He shared the message of salvation through Jesus. He talked to them about the Jewish Messiah that had come, the one that they were waiting for and looking for that had come to bring the promised salvation. And the story tells us in just a few verses that the Lord opened Lydia's heart and that Lydia immediately believed. And then that she responded in what was the typical New Testament response to belief that Jesus was the Savior. She was baptized. And it includes the important and special detail that as she was baptized, she wasn't baptized alone. In verse 15, it says that she and her household were baptized. Now, it's possible, probably even likely, that some of Lydia's household would have been gathered there with her at the river. That some of the women who worked for her in her home probably went with her week after week to go and be a part of Sabbath worship and what took place in that space. But I think it's also highly likely that this incredibly influential woman not only had some who were gathered with her, but also that she began to influence the people in her household who weren't there and gathered with her on that day. This woman was a difference maker. She was a woman of influence. And I think she was so convinced by Paul's message that she went back into her household and she convinced others of what Jesus had done, of who Jesus was. And they too made the decision to follow after Jesus. So together, her household was baptized. In the New Testament, we see what's common is that anyone who comes to faith in Christ and is baptized does so in the community of faith. But in Philippi, there wasn't yet a community of faith. There wasn't yet a church that was following Jesus. There were just these few Jewish followers. So here in this moment, and I think the reason that we're told Lydia's story is because we get to see that here in Philippi, Paul came and Paul shared the message that he was used to sharing in other places. And Paul's words, combined with the work of the Holy Spirit in this place, combined with Lydia's influence and the difference she made, resulted in this immediate community of faith coming into existence. Of this entire household of people being baptized together into faith in Jesus. And then we get these little glimpses of what's mentioned from Lydia. That this transformation, that this new found faith wasn't finished with her. That transformation was continuing to take place in her life. Because the next thing that we see happen is that she opens up her home to be home base for these missionaries that have come into the city. In, in just a verse or two, just a sentence or two, it reveals to us that she 
begged Paul and Silas and others who were traveling with them. We assume maybe Luke. We're not sure who all would have been there. But she begged them to come and stay in her home. She trusted the words that they were preaching. She trusted the Savior that they were talking about. And now she wanted to give this work that they were doing a, a, a more appropriate respect or idea, reputation in their community. And she believed that they would have that if they were based out of her home, not out of some type of inn or some type of lodging place in the community. So she invited them into her home. She staked her reputation, her business, her livelihood on the idea that she could be the hub of this new faith that was taking place. That she had seen transform her own life, transform her own home, and that she believed would transform her community. Now the part of the story that we didn't read is that soon Paul and Silas' work gets them into trouble. The preaching that they're doing, the message that they're telling, the work that they're doing of healing people, of rescuing people from demons, wasn't well received by everyone. Some of them didn't think much of the message that they had to share. Some of them didn't think much of the work that they were doing. So soon after Paul and Silas began their work, they were arrested. They spent time in prison. And when they're released from prison, it's the last time in the New Testament that we find Lydia mentioned by name. It's verse 40, the last verse of that chapter, which we read earlier. And it says, when Paul and Silas left prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Now, again, we, we have to do a little bit of assuming what's taking place, just a little bit of stretching the information that we have. But clearly the outline is there. The work of the gospel continued even while Paul and Silas were in prison. In Lydia's home, likely under the leadership of Lydia, the church continued to meet. They continued to worship. They continued to grow in faith. They continued to spread the message of the gospel so that as Paul and Silas came out of this time in prison, they knew immediately where to go. Go back to Lydia's house because the church is there. The church is continuing to work. The message is continuing to go. The gospel is continuing to spread. And we want to go and gather with them again. And it's likely... That the seed of this message that Paul preached, this work the Spirit did, this conversion that happened in Lydia's life that transformed her and her household, and I think eventually her community, grew to be the church that eventually Paul writes a letter back to that we call the book of Philippians in our scriptures. And we find in that book, in that letter that Paul wrote back to them, that this is one of the churches that he most deeply loved. And I expect that it's likely that Lydia, who, prayed a, who played a prominent role in the founding of this church, in the housing of this church, probably continued to be a significant piece of the leadership of what was happening in the life of that church, even as Paul had gone away and wrote a letter back to them. So as we think about Lydia and her story and her journey and her life, what are the, the, the examples of faith that we can find in her that perhaps we should think about making a part of our own life, of our own journey, of our own household? This morning, I want to point out just a couple of the highlights of that. 
And it starts with this very clear idea that faith in Jesus transformed who Lydia was. Now, she used a lot of the same gifts that she had. Already she was a leader. Already she was an influencer. So these same gifts existed in her. But she began to use them for the purpose of the kingdom, for the purpose of the church. And this new faith in her began to fully take over every aspect of her life and what was happening. She came to faith and she brought others with her. This transformation in her life brought transformation in her household. The Holy Spirit began to do a work in her family and in her household because the Holy Spirit had done a work in her. Conversion for Lydia was more than receiving information about who Jesus was or what Jesus might have done. It was about more than ensuring this idea of eternity spent in heaven. The two pieces of what so often the gospel message is for us. Is it, does it include the right information? Are we talking enough about heaven? Instead of it simply being those things for Lydia, conversion for her, faith in Jesus for her was whole life transforming. It changed everything. Everything about who she was and what she was doing. It was life changing and it became the new dominant reality for how she did everything in her life. How she ran her business, how she lived, how she influenced others, how she maintained her home. We see this life change expressed through the ways that she did influence other people. It is not by accident that the passage says she came to faith, she was baptized and her entire household was baptized with her. It's not by accident that we're told that as this woman comes to faith that she reimagined her home as an outpost for the gospel. That first, what do we see her do? She housed these gospel bearers. There's no way it was culturally appropriate. Although hospitality was a huge piece of what happened in that society, a huge piece of what they understood it meant to do Jewish living, there's no way it was appropriate for a single woman to invite a group of men who had come into their society to come and live in her home for a while so that they continued, could, continue to spread, could, could continue to spread the work of the gospel in their culture. There's no way it was appropriate, but it did didn't matter to her. Her life had been changed by Jesus. And now she decided that her home would house these gospel bearers who were continuing this work. And that it would continue to be a home for the gospel, even as Paul and Silas were taken away from the movement and put in prison for a time. And that after that, that her home would be the very house that housed the church. That would continue to carry the gospel into her community and beyond. Once Lydia's life belonged to Jesus, all of her possessions belonged to Jesus too. And she handed over everything that she had to support the work of Jesus, the church, and the kingdom of God in her community. In the Expositor's Bible commentary about this passage, it says, Soon it seems her home became the center for Christian outreach And worship in Philippi. And then Lydia fades into the background. She falls into the background of biblical history. We never hear her mentioned by name again anywhere in the scriptures. There are commentators who who wonder 
if the letter that was written back to the church in Philippi mentions her a time or two. Some wonder if she actually had another name and if she was referred to by her other name when the letter was written back. There are those that wonder if in Philippians chapter 4 verse 3 when when Paul talks about the the co-laborers or the co-workers that are working in the life of the church, he never mentions them by name. There are those that wonder, is that Lydia that he's referring to that doesn't have to be mentioned by name because everyone knew who he's referring to? And the truth is we don't know. I wonder, I think there's all kinds of hinting if she wasn't the very pastor that led this first church forward. We don't know for sure. What we know is that we find out very clearly in Acts chapter 16 that she played her role. She lived out a fully transformed life, a transformed faith in her time, in her place. And by everything we see, we can assume that she continued to do so. Without any special fame or notoriety. She was a woman of faith doing what people of transformed faith in Jesus did all around her in all of the societies that Paul moved into and worked into and saw transformation come into. So what would it look like if you and I lived out this same kind of transformed life? The majority of us in this room would proclaim faith in Jesus. We would affirm the same beliefs that Lydia had, that Jesus is the Messiah who transforms lives, who brings salvation. But the question for us comes in, can others recognize the transformation that's taking place inside of us? Do others see that something is happening in us because of these things, these ideas, these these tenets, these beliefs that we would claim are true in our life? Are we bringing others with us in what's taking place? Have we shifted the influence that we have in the lives of others from being influences in our community or in our business world or in our family or maybe even in religious world? Have we shifted that influence to an influence that's bringing other people to the place that they too are choosing to follow after Jesus? Does transformation in us, does Jesus at work in us, does the Holy Spirit making of us something new bring us to a place that we think of all of our possessions and most especially our house, our home, whether we own it or we rent it, this place that is of such value in our lives that we spend so much time and money and resources on, do we recognize that this belongs to Jesus. And if so, that it should be used for the sake of furthering the work of the kingdom, the work of the church, the work of Jesus in our world. As transformed people, do we think about our home, whatever it looks like, as a as a missional outpost of the work of the local church? Do we think about our home, do we use our home as a resting place for the gospel? Have we reimagined our home as a center for worship and for outreach? Are we striving to make sure that our home is seen by our community as a place not only where the people of God come to sleep and eat, but also as a space where we welcome others in and we go out to influence our neighbors?
Have we, as transformed people, as we think about our homes, understood that all that we have, that everything that we have been blessed with should now be turned around as tools that go to work for Jesus, for the kingdom of God, and for the work that we as Valley are participating in together? What would it look like for you and your family, for your household, if you were to imagine being church out of your specific home. Yes, moms, dads, kids, students. Whether it's a dorm room or it's mom and dad's home that you're living in or it's your home that you're paying for or whatever that situation might be. What would it look like if we were to think about it differently? How would it change the way we think about a house that we're buying or that we're looking about or that we're looking at as we think about size, as we think about structure, as we think about setup? If we thought we want to make sure this is a missional outpost of my church, this is the church going to work in my local neighborhood. I have friends who intentionally bought a house much larger than they need because they fill it with people who have newly come to faith as a space for them to live in and be discipled in for a while. So they bring them into their home believing that it can best happen inside the life of their family. Now, let me be 100% honest. That terrifies me. Because the idea that I'm discipling people in my home who also have to watch is I have less than appropriate conversations with my wife and my kids because they happen once in a while. is terrifying. And yet that's exactly what it means for us to disciple people to live in the faith. What does it mean for us to live lives completely transformed by Jesus at work? And it means that we invite people into our homes, into the places that we live. I know of people who have taken their homes and they've flipped things backwards from what we tend to think about. They've taken what, what typically exists in their backyard and they've moved it all to their front yard. When in our backyard we have our grill or our picnic tables or our fire pit so that we can gather together, it's primarily about privacy. If we take those things and we move the grill or the table all to the front yard, it's no longer about privacy. Now it's about community. Now it's about inviting in our neighbors and strangers and passersby and believers and non-believers so that they can come together and we can all gather together grasping that this space is an outpost of the work that Valley is doing. We are the church from our homes. Valley is not... At 1401 York Road, it's it's whatever our address is, 6704 Canongate. And whatever your address is, that is where Valley exists and resides and does the work of the kingdom. Some of you tell me stories. I remember a time when buildings like ours served as a hub, as a gathering place for the community. And I know that it was even more true before my memory. Because there's this odd thing that took place in the life of American society from somewhere around the 50s to somewhere around the 80s. This time that we remember that that buildings like this served as the hub for our community. And while many of us desire that that was true again, we have to also be honest about the reality that our culture no longer looks that way. Churches aren't the hubs. There are other places in our communities that have become the hubs. 
And while for many of us that's devastating, let me also point out to you that in the New Testament, there was never a building called the church that was the hub of where the community was gathered. Now, there were synagogues, which is where Jewish people gathered, but it wasn't where the community gathered. In the New Testament, what we see is that the hub was the church, but the church was local homes in local communities. It was a gathering place for those who believed and those who didn't, for those who were rich and for those who were poor. And they brought them into their homes and the church worked out of those spaces. Friends, how beautiful would it be if we thought of valley not just as one structure, but as a multitude of homes spread all throughout our communities. If you and I thought of our homes as missional outposts, whether they were in Cockeysville or Parkville or Towson or Lutherville or Hunt Valley or Baltimore or Timonium, spread all over our area going to work as Valley was doing the work of the kingdom all over our area. Because friends... While there is something special and sacred about this place and this structure, we can never forget we are the church. It is not the building, it is the people. We are the church. And if we are going to live the church well, then we have to grasp the necessity of us being church at home. And in recognizing that, then moving to the place of realizing the incredible power that is possible if we understand being missional out of our individual homes sprinkled all throughout our area. Valley. Influencing not just one community, but all of the communities that we touch. This is what it means for us to be church at home. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, we thank you for the chance that we have to come together as the church in worship. We thank you for this space. To gather together this space to sing and pray and look at the scriptures and enjoy being in the presence of one another. And Lord, we also thank you for the incredible call that you have placed upon our lives to not only be the people that gather in this building, but to be the church spread throughout our neighborhoods and our communities. God, I pray that we would grab hold of that calling, of that challenge, of that truth of the scriptures, and that it would begin to transform the ways that we think about our own homes. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.